Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, I hear that this sermon series is a pot plant off. That's what's going on. I heard last week that Kristen bought in her pot plant, which, from what I saw, looks a little bit worse for wear than this prize possession here. Yeah. So, um, not a competition, not a competition, but this is definitely looking better. Uh, I can't claim any credit for it, though, uh, because she's responsible for both. That's the irony. And it was this pot plant that gave rise to this whole series, because we were sitting in our devotional chairs doing what we, what we normally try to do, and I know you try and do, of a morning, have your time with God, and do a devotion, just some silence and peace and quiet and she would forever be getting up and looking at the leaves on this little thing and tending to this thing which I think gave rise to the other debacle that you saw last week um, frankly uh, look it up on the live stream if you haven't seen uh, that poor specimen that she brought up on stage and so that one's wilting as this one is absolutely flourishing look at this this is just magic <laughs> and the principle being it's a uh, I kind of got frustrated in that devotion time because uh, tongue-in-cheek to her, I, spared, I said to her, for crying out loud, you spend more time tending to that thing than you do your own soul. That's how pastors talk when we're at home, right? <laughs> Everything's spiritual. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of true, right, that I think what is pretty crazy for some of us, because I'm aware that most of us live in apartments in the Lower North Shore, this is not Taramara, uh, most of us, some of us, uh, we'll spend more time fertilizing the green stuff on your lawn in the next two months than you will your own soul. How often do you tend to your soul? Because your soul, your spirit, who you are, is just as vital as a plant. It needs to be tended and nurtured. And your life works better when you tend to and you nurture your inner life. How often do you think about tending to your inner life? Do you tend to that little pot plant on your balcony more than you would your own spiritual life? And so what I want to share with you this morning is a, a couple of practices uh, that have really shifted who I am, not the way I think, not the way I talk, just who I am. Part of how I know that it's been working is because in those devotional chairs, Kristen turned to me a couple of months back and she said, you're just different. I mean, what do you mean? She's like, you're more present with the kids, you're more present with me, you're less angry, you don't get frustrated as much. And she said, what, are you, what have you been doing? And I said, you know what I've been doing because she and I had been doing a course on tending our soul and we had been practicing these disciplines I want to talk about today that is simply silence and solitude. Silence and solitude, solitude an introvert's dream, by the way. Um, <laughs> But silence and solitude and those practices in my life, suddenly I wasn't thinking about it, I wasn't trying to make things happen, it just kind of happened and that is the promise that when you undertake these disciplines, these things happen. I'd watered my soul well. I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any means and I'm not saying either that this is a surefire way to stop these emotions that we don't like from coming out but they go a long way in changing who we are. Ah, and so the context, right, for a plant is vital in nurturing it well, right? The soil, the pot, how you keep this is absolutely vital 
to nurture it well. And so the question is, what's, what kind of context does your soul live in? And if I think back to just the last week that I've had, uh, part of the challenge we face is that the context for our souls is constantly sucking us dry. Wouldn't you agree? We're constantly being bombarded with stuff. Um, I read an article in Forbes magazine that estimates that in every single day you will have anywhere between four to 8,000 advertisements come at you in a single day, <laughs> right? And then if, if that's not enough and, and you haven't got enough noise in your life, then Apple invented these amazing white things called AirPods. And these are, these are wonderful little magic devices that you just put in your ears and you can shut the world out and you can blast your head full of all sorts of noise all the time and it just goes with you, right? And so you can just even add more noise to your life if you want to do that. And so this context is constantly sucking us dry because these things are constantly trying to get our attention. Then you add that with just almost like the pervasive anxiety and uncertainty that's been happening in our society over the last two to three years with the pandemic. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've found that a lot of people, my helicopter view of pastoring is that a lot of people uh, are dealing with, with what I've dubbed, and I'm not a psychologist, I've dubbed a PCH or post-COVID hangover. And I don't mean like the physical hangover. Uh, I mean that, have you noticed with people, like there's, there's a lethargy about us and people are tired People aren't thinking straight. Um, people going into themselves. And I think part of the reason it happened, I think Kristen explained this last week too, is it, it kind of started when we came out of lockdown that everyone had FOMO, which is um, for anyone above the age of 25, that means fear of missing out. Right? I had to look it up. And, and, and so everyone's had FOMO, fear of missing out, right? We've been locked down, so you just go crazy with all your appointments in life. And then you get through all of that, stuff doesn't get cancelled, and you go from FOMO to ONO, which is kind of the feeling you've had when you realise that you've booked too much stuff in your life and you're running too hard, right? To, uh, to the, the final one, which I call stay-ho, which is just stay at home. It's just... <laughs> Some of you may be suffering from stay-ho this morning. It's just, right? as much as we laugh, right, I think you may have felt that, where you just, you're kind of so lethargic and so done, the soul's screaming at you that it's just like, I'm just going to stay home. What do we do with that? Because God speaks of a life where you flourish. God wants you to have a life where he gives you the sort of life that flourishes where his self-directing personal power, that's how we define the life of God, flows from you into your life. So it's a gift to you, but more than that, you're a gift to the world around you, right? You're, you're present with your spouse or your partner. You're present with your kids. You are present with the people around you because you are full. You've been tended and you've been nurtured well. Life works better, <laughs> when you are nurtured. So the question is, what's the fertilizer for the human soul? I'm sure that's what all of you have been asking this morning. You thought, I'll come to church. I've been wondering, what is the fertilizer for the human soul? Silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. And silence and solitude is merely slowing down for God. Slowing down for God. 
which sounds easy, but it's actually ridiculously hard if you've tried to do it, <laughs> knowing the lives that some of you live. It's ridiculously hard. It's why um, Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, said that silence and solitude are the two hardest disciplines to undertake in the Christian life. Because they sound, which is weird, because they sound like the easiest. And there's, there's often an easy way and a hard way to deal with silence and solitude. The easy way is you can water and tend your soul early and you can take what we do this morning and take it home and begin to practice this. That's the easy way. Or the hard way is to just keep running life as hard as you can with all of the doys and keep pushing more stuff in and keep living with FOMO and keep driving yourself further forward until you get to this thing that people talk about called burnout. Anyone heard of burnout? <laughs> now... It's, it's not a modern psychological term, it's actually biblical. And there was a, a character in the Bible that burnt out. Some of you may know him, and ironically, he burnt out after doing all sorts of amazing stuff for God. His name was Elijah, and he was doing incredible stuff for God. It was like a Hollywood movie. This guy had gone out, and he had taken on all of these hundreds of prophets, Elijah and the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel over in modern-day Israel. And they were in a Hollywood-style standoff. You know, it's kind of like a biblical western they're kind of saying, our God's bigger. And he's saying, no, my God's bigger. And they're like, prove it, prove it. No, my God's bigger. And they didn't have the guns back then. But, you know, they had fire, right? And that's what Elijah did. Elijah calls down these fire on these prophets and he smokes them. And, and then as a result, instead of there doing a victory lap, the guy runs off into the desert. And we pick up the story in First Kings from when Elijah is out there and he's so burnt out. And he's so depleted and he's so depressed that he's actually suicidal. Which, you know, if you've been in that place or you're close to that place, maybe the, maybe the best thing that you could hear this morning uh, is that it's biblical. I love the way, and this is a whole other sermon, I love the way that God ministers to Elijah in that space. He sends down an angel, and the angel gives him some food. And you want to know what, um, what food he, he got? Angel cake. <laughs> that's, that's not real. That's just a dad joke, if you're watching online. <laughs> right? But my point is, the first thing that God does when he ministers to him is he says, Elijah, have a sleep and a snack. Yes. If you are depleted, if you're burnt out, if you're pushing too hard, maybe the first and the best thing that you can do for your soul is just have a sleep and a snack. And I will say that to you as parishioners this morning, as congregants, as part of our church. If you are ever in a space where you just can't even bear to go to church this morning because you're so wrecked, then you've got the pastor's permission to just have a sleep and a snack. Don't come to church if you are in that space. Just have a sleep and a snack. Stay home, rest and recuperate. And then we see the way that God ministers to Elijah. The first thing that God says to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Right? So it's interesting. He says, go out and wait. Wait for me to be there. Notice how he doesn't, God doesn't go out and give him a pep talk. God doesn't go out and zap him with some sort of lightning. Notice how God doesn't go out and try and G him up into more activity. Notice how God doesn't go out and say, just relax, just get a little bit of you time boo and, 
and just do what you do, boo. No, he's, he ministers to him specifically. It then says, Now there was a great wind so strong it was splitting the mountains and breaking rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. Now, if, if you're one of those eager Christians that's with us this morning and you're reading in your Bible, you probably won't have that translation there. I've, I've got the NRSV. That's like old school 80s Bible, my favorite Bible, my favorite translation. It's a different type of translation because you may have read this passage before where it says, and the Lord was in a gentle whisper. Remember that one? But what I love about this word here is that underneath that word gentle whisper, because it's almost intranslatable, if that's such a word, in other words, you can't translate it. Um, it's so hard to translate. The, the best way they can translate what is being said there is that God is in the sound of silence. God's in the silence. No fire. No earthquake. No wind. Which is the way in the past that he had ministered to like Moses and Job and all those other characters, he's in the silence. And as a result, Elijah comes out of that place renewed and energized and healthier back into ministry. It's a bit of a, a miracle, but no like crazy, holy, you know, spirit, you know, uh, goose bumpy, fall over backwards type experience. Just silence. Silence. And so God ministers in silence. Some of his most powerful ministry is in silence. And so the question is, have you experienced that? Do you believe that's possible for you? And for me, um, for me, I don't, right? Because for me, I'm, I'm a recovering doer. That's the way that I describe myself. I don't know about some of those. Have we got any recovering doers in the place? Yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, right? I'm a recovering doer, which comes out of our idolatry series that we did a couple of months ago. But for me, doing is my idol. If I achieve, then I'm doing right for God. If stuff just gets bigger, if I'm just busier, then I must be a good Christian. And so entering into silence has been such a tough practice for me because I'm naturally just a doer. It'll be tough for you if you are a recovering doer. But I think at the deeper level for us, and I don't know if this would apply for you, but I think at the deeper level for us, Part of what we don't like about silence is that it's, it's scary. <laughs> silence is the place where we kind of strip off all of that pretend version of ourself that we're so good at doing. You know, the one that you put on this morning? You know, the one that if you're that spouses that had the argument in the car that you do in the last five seconds before you get out of your car, and it's like, we've got to go to church and we've got to smile, <laughs> right? And so we walk around with this pretend version of ourselves going, life's great. It's good. It's really good. Right? We all know we have a pretend version of ourselves. And silence. Silence is the spiritual turpentine that strips that painted veneer that we have on our souls. Right? And so we don't stop long enough for God to do his work in that space. And so how does God do that work? He does it through silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. And here's how we would define them. So, solitude is the discipline of getting away from people or things. Introverts are like, yes, 
that's my happy place, right? Extroverts, it's a nightmare for you to go there. You think you're going to wither and die, <laughs> right? And silence, silence is the discipline of getting away from the inner and the outer voices. And so they're the two disciplines that I want you to try and to practice this week. Verse 3, it says, in the discipline of solitude, the discipline of getting away from people and things, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there and while himself spent a day's journey into the desert. And so the first thing Elijah does is he runs into the desert, which we have to understand the desert, the desert in biblical times was always the place where God was. And so what Elijah was doing in this moment is when he's burnt out and he's done and he's afraid, he's running to the place, the context for his soul where God will be. And he runs into the desert. And you see this in the life of, a, of another prophet, so to speak, hundreds of years later after Elijah in the form of Jesus Christ. And you constantly see patterns in Jesus' life of getting away from people and things and getting off into these desert spaces. Luke 5, the great multitudes gathered to hear and be healed, but he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. That word wilderness is translated also as desert because there's not, no such thing as big foresty trees over there in, in Jerusalem. It was desert. Jesus got to the desert and prayed. And then that evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus, all the sick and the demon-possessed. He has this massive moment of ministry. He's kind of like Elijah doing all these miracles. He's driving out demons. He wouldn't let the demons speak. And very early in the morning, while it was still dark, and I contend that he's been ministering all night in this craze of ministry activity, Jesus finds a lonely place where he prayed. He got away from people and things. So my question for you is, do you have a place where you can get away from people and things? Mine's the North Ride Golf Club, right? It's a good place. I like that. A lot of people think, how could you, you, know, how could you seriously be spiritual on a golf course? You know, for a lot of you, I know you go to a golf course and you start to swear and do all sorts of ungodly things rather than godly things, right? Um, but elders know this, friends know this, team knows this. That's my spiritual place because it's green and I'm in the creation and I'm by myself and I don't have to talk to people for a couple of hours and I can be with God. That's my desert, Northride Golf Club. Tough, tough place to be, right? Have you got a place in your life, a desert place where you can get away from people and things? That's the first one. And by the way, if you think, if you think getting away is hard, because I know how some of you live, if you think getting away is hard, that's nothing compared to the next one that we're going to look at. Because you're ready for the hard part? Solitude's the easy piece. Silence is the hard piece. Silence is the discipline of getting away from the inner and the outer noise. And getting away from the outer noise when you're in solitude kind of can work okay. But as you're going to find out in a second when we practice this, getting away from the inner noise will be the hardest spiritual thing that you will do this year. Trust me. Because if you're anything like me, the minute that I get away from all the rest of the noise and I get time with myself... Whenever I wake up in the morning, I just hear myself. I've said to you before, part of the problem for me when I wake up and hear my inner voice is, I've always got bad news for myself. I'm that sort of person, right? The minute I open my eyes, I've just got, I don't have, I've just got bad news, right? <laughs> I don't know if you're in the same space, but the minute I listen to myself, I don't find myself getting happier or, or chipper. I've just got bad news, right? So you've got, to, you've got to get away from those voices. And as I said before, the aim of silence is to actually uh, 
allow yourself, the pretend versions of yourself, to be dissolved away. That moment when you stop and you sit with God almost face to face. Pete Scazzaro, a preacher from New York, says, In silence and stillness before God, all our scaffolding removed is removed. We're spiritually naked, the place where your old self dies and your true self in Christ is. And so silence is a place of transformation. Something happens in that place. God ministers to us in that place. And I I have to put a caveat in here. This is about bathing in the love of God. You can't succeed or fail at this, by the way. You know, all of us recovering doers... I know, I know what you're like right now. You're like, okay, yep, I've got my tick list. I'm going to work. I'm getting the latte. I'm going to do silence uh, three times this week. I'm really going to nail this, right? <laughs> you can't succeed or fail at doing this. This is the exercise of bathing in the love of God and just seeing what happens, right? And so uh, will you have an opportunity to practice twice a week, two minutes worth, of silence in your day. Just start with that. Because as I said before, most people think that the Christian life is about finding ways for us to get through to God. Maybe you turned up today and you're not a Christian and there are problems in your life and you're thinking, I need God's help in this. If I just go to church, if I just pray hard enough, I can maybe get God's attention. When really, uh, the issue for God is not us getting through to Him. It's about Him getting through to you behind the 4,000 advertisements behind the inner voices in your head, behind the transcend self that you've painted for yourself this week, right? Think of all the layers that God has got to swim through in order to speak to you this week. Silence is about dissolving all of that. And I tell you what, as a pastor, when I confront people on this and I talk to people about this, you know what, I've seen people who are years down the track from where I, I am who would love to be back in the position that you're sitting in this morning. That there are people that I meet that, that really, when they've said all of their life, I'm out of time, I can't do this, I'm not sure if I'm up for this, I'm not sure if I can spare the time. There, there are men and women ahead of you who've gone down, and you know what? They don't like what they traded this for. They don't like what they traded their health for. They don't like what they traded their time for. They try, traded their time for things and um, people and distractions that at the end of the day wasn't worth it. And so I'm saying this morning, just, just give up early and do it now and see what happens. And so I want to invite you this morning to make a revolutionary decision because this is countercultural, right? A revolutionary decision to get connected to God. And as I promised you, there's going to be an opportunity to practice this now. And for some of you, this will be the scariest two minutes that you have in your life. Because for some of you, this is the only two minutes in the last week that you have been silent in the world. And so I'm going to invite us now into a two-minute exercise of silence. I'll be keen for your thoughts on how it goes for you. Are you ready for this? Let's bow our heads. as you prepare to enter into this place, maybe you might want to um, do what I do. I, I recite an, um, an ancient word 
Maranatha, which means Lord come. I just recite that over and over because I have so many thoughts in my head. I just say Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.